Would you love to create some new traditions around Passover in your home? At the Peaceful Press, we have a free Passover Seder guide. It makes it really simple to enjoy this beautiful holiday with your family. We'll include the link in the show notes to download the free Passover guide. And if you want to incorporate the full story of Jesus into your family, check out the Good Gospel. It's our 26th lesson resource on the life of Christ, and it culminates with the beautiful story of his death and resurrection and ascension. You can find the Good Gospel on our website, and we'll link that below as well. This is Jennifer Papita with the Restoration Home Podcast. This is a show where we talk about the structures that can help us have more connected families and restored communities. And today I'm excited to be chatting with Avital Schreiber Levy. She is on Instagram at HighFamLive and online at HighFam.com. And I'm so excited to chat with her because she is a Jewish mama living in Israel. And we're going to talk today about some of the structures that have sustained Jewish families throughout the ages and how we can apply them to our modern lives. Thanks so much for joining me today, Avital. Jennifer, it's such an honor to be here, and it's so great to hear your voice. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm I'm so excited to chat with you. In my last book, Mothering by the Book, or my first book, I chatted about how tradition can be a way of overcoming fear. You know, as moms, there are so many fears that we come up against. But I use the analogy of the all of a kind family and how that mother had all these healthy rhythms and routines and celebrations that really helped her, I think, get perspective on life and have faith and trust, even in the middle of intense circumstances. And I'm so excited to chat with you about, you know, how you've seen some of these structures bring peace and joy in your own life. Yeah, great. Let's get into it. I love that. So I know you're living in Israel. What kind of led your family? Tell me just a little bit about your own journey as a family and what brought you back to Israel. I moved here with my parents from London when I was nine. And uh, so I spent about 20 years here. And my husband and I met here. Our first two children were born here. And we moved to the States for my husband's training. He's a doctor. And we went there for his residency and fellowship. And the plan was always really to come back um, with the insight that this was home and this is where our tribe is and where our extended family is. And it's, you know, it's a complicated place to live. It's not necessarily the easiest place, especially after spending eight years in the States, which is an incredible country in so many ways. Um, and we miss, you know, a lot about the States, but, uh, that, that was really our drive to come home was to raise our kids in the fold of our extended family and our, you know, you know, greater culture as it were. Yeah. You know, one of the things I think is amazing about the United States is there is so much freedom to make choices and to do things differently. But one of the things that I think is actually a drawback is we don't really have a cohesive culture. You know, you have to, and really, I think a lot of the public school system even eroded the culture that people did have. You know, people might have had a strong, you know, Eastern European culture or a strong um, Middle Eastern culture, but the school systems in a lot of ways sort of diminish the idea that your home life was important or your family traditions were important Mm -hmm. and made kids feel awkward for having them. And so I feel like, you know, one of the problems we're having here in, in America is that 
people are a little bit at loose ends. Like even in our churches for, for Protestants, there's been, you know, steps away from more structured churches where anything is possible and there's so much freedom. But I think that there can be too much freedom. Honestly, I think that there can be um, a healthy amount of boundaries and structures that give us more joy, that give us more peace, and that uphold our values as families. How have you seen that to be true in Israel? Yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. And I think America has so, you know, so much potential and so as a melting pot, as a cultural melting pot, and Israel, by the way, is a cultural melting pot as well. People come here from all over. And, um, and so there is a lot of talk here around, you know, kind of the marriage of different cultures, um, different foods, different traditions, etc. Um, but I'll speak, you know, and I, I just have to caveat and say that there are so just like any religion, any group of people, there are a million shades of gray and a million different types of Jews and, and Jewish tradition. And um, I'll just speak for myself and what I've seen in my own family. Um, but I definitely agree with you that, you know, over over my life, I've been kind of witnessing this great balancing act between individualism and freedom um, and the freedom to choose and the f- freedom to reject uh, what your ancestors have, you know, passed down, uh, freedom to reinvent the wheel or go your own way or that kind of thing. Um, and I think there's a, a lot of merit to that and a lot of um, necessity. You know, I really do believe in, in, in that American ideal of liberty and freedom and individual freedom particularly. And with that, I think there is a lot of meaning to be found, a lot of kind of rest, um, kind of the antithesis of the um, decision fatigue and the choice overwhelm, the analysis paralysis that you get with too many options, with too much freedom, with not enough structure. It's not easy. And I think it's mentally very, very taxing and, you know, spiritually, emotionally, all of that, you know, exhausting to try to figure out life completely from scratch. And when you do have some inherited traditions of this is just the way we do things, you know, this is just the way we do Saturdays, or this is just the way we do birthdays or Christmas or whatever it happens to be. I think there's a lot of um, ease that can come from that, a lot of freedom within that. Um, and, and a great sense of connection and joy, kind of interlinking the generations, interlinking with your community, with your broader community uh, locally or, or, or perhaps not locally. And I think it's not easy to find that balance, but it's it's possible. Um, I, I certainly see it in my own life that I, I find that there is a possibility of being both a, a you know a unique individual with your own interests and choices and freedoms, and also choosing to be part of a greater context and choosing to w- operate within a specific structure. Yeah, one of the things we were in Israel in 2019. And one of the things that just struck me so hard, we were in Jerusalem on a Sabbath and it was also a festival. And, you know, there were so many families out walking together and just being together. And in the hotel lobby, there were whole families sitting together, you know, children and adults all sitting together. And there was this real sense of just togetherness and community. People weren't sitting on their phones. They were taking naps or visiting with each other, but there was a togetherness that you actually don't often see in American gatherings, especially, you know, if you go out to eat here, people are often all on their phones. And Mm. so that, that really was very meaningful to me to see this togetherness and this rest that they were experiencing 
as families. And, you know, here, like it's my intention to have a weekly Sabbath. It is my intention to take a full day of rest every week and not shop and not work. But the reality without a community support system for it is very difficult because, you know, a family member might have something they want us to be involved in that day or a community. There might be some kind of a community outreach project that there's some pressure to be involved in. And so what are some of the benefits that you've seen from having community support for even your holidays and days of rest? Oh, it's, I mean, you just hit the nail on the head. It's tremendous. And it, it actually makes all the difference, I think, between being able to really execute on those goals and struggling to execute on them. Because, you know, say the phones, for example, it's such a great example. Um, in my community and in my family, it's unacceptable to have your phone out unless there's a life or death emergency on Sabbath, literally. Um, your phone is going to be off and in a drawer for 25 hours. And the same is going to be true for pretty much everyone around you. Now, even if someone isn't observant and isn't orthodox and doesn't keep the Sabbath, um, out of respect, they wouldn't have their phone out, say, at the family Sabbath meal or, you know, even in the street necessarily. And so, of course, there are some people who do and, and that's fine and they have the freedom to do that. It's not, you know, this isn't a strict religious environment. Um, but the fact that so many people around you are opting in to have a 25-hour screen-free uh, Sabbath makes it so that there's that kind of positive peer pressure in this particular realm, for me at least, um, to do so. I would not have the personal strength to put my phone away for so long um, if I didn't have that kind of social pressure and the social norm and expectation and support. Um, to have that screen-free time. So um, it's amazing that you've been in Jerusalem uh, for a Sabbath. I live in Jerusalem. And it's true. You really do see entire families, including the teenagers, um, being present at, at two kind of festive meals every single weekend with guests, with other families, etc. And it's really very, very special. And I think it's very hard to create that atmosphere. I found it very hard to create that atmosphere when I was in the States without you know, quite the level of support and community around it. And I, you know, screens is such a great example because it's such a specific one. Um, and it's such a modern ailment that we're all so addicted and connected all the time. Very hard to pull away from that without kind of structure in place. Yeah, it's so good. I'm really excited about what you're sharing because it is true. You know, I try to have a screen-free Sabbath with my children, but, you know, everybody's kind of on their own you know, some of them are young adults living in my home, some of them are teenagers. And so imposing something like that without that greater community support can feel really hard. Uh, I watched my big fat Greek wedding last week. I had seen it years ago and I watched it again recently. And, you know, at first I was like, oh my gosh, I wish we had this. I wish we had a family where, you know, the grandpa was like all over you if you dated the wrong person and, and where there was all this family pressure to be together for holidays and, and do everything together. And yet, you know, as the story goes on, there's like all this lying and, and deceit and hiding that comes from having this really strict external expectation. And I think that's, you know, that is the kind of the balance, you know, even I, I was thinking of the movie Fiddler on the Roof. I don't know if you've ever heard, watched, seen, you know, no, and it was the same. <laughs> yes, yes. So, you know, it's like the father wants them to to pair off with people who are like him and like his family and yet individual choice comes in and then there are, you know, consequences. One daughter moves away and, uh, you know, another daughter, the, the situation isn't 
what he was hoping for. It's a completely different culture. How, how do we as parents navigate, you know, and I know your children are on the younger side, you know, just navigate that balance of grace and expectation, because on the one hand, we, we need to be setting a standard with our children saying, this is what our family does. And this is how our family approaches life. And yet also, you know, finding ways to navigate some of these things, you know, I don't know how your family felt about you moving away for eight years, or, you know, some of the things that we do, the choices we do end up making that sometimes maybe aren't ideal. Mm, such a great question. I've been so lucky to see some really good examples of this. And I've, I've seen some examples that have gone really quite wrong. I think one of the key things is to find inspiration and joy in your cultural choices, in the structures that you're choosing, and to model that deeply. Um, and I think when children are very young, then, you know, we can set pretty clear boundaries and expectations about, you know, what we allow and don't allow in our home. And I'm, I'm all for parental authority and leadership in that realm. Um, but I think as they start to hit kind of preteens, teens, I think the conversation opens up and it's more kind of shifting to present a choice. My brother gave me some great advice in this realm because my brother's just, his eldest has just gotten married and had his first baby and chosen to live, you know, like a four minute walk from my brother's home and to very, very closely mimic the same type of culture that he has at home. And I was just amazed. I was like, how did you do it? You know, how does your child want to live near you, spend weekends with you, raise his son so close to you? Um, and he said that in the shift between childhood uh, and, and teenhood, there was this shift from being, uh, you know, a manager, as it were, to being rehired as a consultant. And you kind of have to repitch yourself and hope that your child would actually like to hire you now out of the, you know, out of their own free will um, as, you know, an autonomous individual who's making their own decisions about which type of culture they want to continue. And I think when there's coercion and when there's guilt and shame and anger and um, very heavy loads of expectation and a lot of ultimatums or conditions that are linked onto our children's choices, that's generally not going to, you know, end well for anyone Primarily, it's going to rupture the relationship more than anything else. Um, so I think, you know, a lot of freedom and a lot of um, allowing for individuation and for, you know, exploration and for kind of going and coming back and that kind of thing, um, I think is is important. Um, but then coming back to my first point is really, I think when you make something make sense to people, you know, I, I think, you know, if, if parents are leaders and we'd like to lead our children towards a certain path, well, first of all, we have to make sure that we have a path that's worthy of leading them down that we really think is standing, you know, standing the test um, of being a good idea, being a good way to live. And then I think we, you know, I don't know, at least I strive to try and make those choices honestly, authentically, wholeheartedly and transparently, right? Um, I think a lot of parents, especially in religious realms, I think they fall down the wrong rabbit hole, in my opinion, when they tell untruths, you know, when they when they don't show full complexity of situations, when they don't, when they're not honest about, you know, their real belief system or why they're doing things or what happens if you don't do it or that kind of thing. I think when it becomes dogmatic and controlling, it's, I, I find that to be a problem, but I think when it's authentic and inspiring and genuine, then, uh, you know, people are drawn to warm, loving, 
meaningful, um, you know, respectful, caring, profound, good lifestyles. And I, I hope, you know, my, my, my eldest is 11. I hope that my children will be drawn in, in a good direction. Yeah. Oh, that's really good. I love everything you said, especially just about the difference in our own parental attitude. You know, if we are putting down all kinds of rules or what what might be seen as legalistic rules out of fear, you know, out of fear that our children yeah. will make a mistake or out of fear, then the results aren't going to be good. But if we have structures and we have boundaries and the attitude about it is that, hey, we are on a path and we are excited about this path and this is a good path and you can join us on this path. I think it changes everything because our children pick up on, oh, my parents are just trying to make themselves look good or my parents are just trying to, you know, earn salvation or earn approval. Kids pick up on those kind of attitudes versus my parents genuinely believe this and they want to live it out because there's joy in it. And yeah. when, when we were in Jerusalem, we were there for um, Shavuot. Shavuot? I don't mm -hmm. know how to say that right. That's but correct. Yeah, you said yeah, that. And so there was so many people at the wall and all these families. It was just incredible. And I asked a woman who was sitting there, you know, how do you guys keep your children following your traditions, your faith traditions, you know, over, I mean, thousands of years, right? This is thousands of years we're talking about here that this same faith tradition has been going on and producing a, a cohesive culture. And she said, we just incorporate a lot of joy. We, we celebrate together. We create a connected and celebratory family. And one of the things that we have kept as a practice in our family for, you know, probably the last 10 years or so is Passover. You know, we, we obviously celebrate it with a slightly different perspective than a Jewish family would, but there's, it's such a meaningful encounter with, you know, an ancient tradition and for us with some of the foundation of our faith. Tell me a little bit about how the feasts have played into that sense of joy and celebration that connects your family. Mm. Yeah. So I, I want to say, I mean, not to make it sound utopian or perfect. I think a lot of families in Jerusalem, in Israel or Jewish families in general do use, you know, fear or coercion, you know, to, to lead their children down this path. And I don't think it always ends well. And I think also a lot of children, you know, there is freedom, freedom of religion and freedom of practice and all of that stuff. And, and so many children grow up and decide not to, you know, practice the faith in the same way or to stay within the fold or whatever it is. And I think, you know, there's quite a lot of complexity but also acceptance around around those you know those margins that are always going to happen in any culture um and it also very much depends kind of which sect as it were that you're part of you know some of them are a lot more strict and kind of if you leave you leave for good type of thing versus others that are a lot more open um and and warm and and accepting of, of the diversity within um so around the feasts or around passover in particular I think one of the things around the joy that you were talking about is that I think it's a very ancient kind of encoded, uh, meaningful experience to, to break bread, to sit around the table, to tell stories, um, you know, to drink wine, to talk into the night, whatever, whatever, you know, happens to constitute that particular feast, obviously good food. Um, that's always a big part of the Jewish tradition. And, um, and so those, those, those nights are very, one of the things that I think might be helpful to, to anyone listening who's not so familiar with these types of things is that the the all of the psychological primers that go into it 
uh, the ritualistic aspect of it. For example, having the same type of food, right? Like on on Sabbath, it's always the challah bread uh, and the wine or the grape juice. That's the traditional food. And then whatever else you're having for the meal. Um, on Passover, it's the matzah crackers and then particular foods that have meaning um, because they symbolize certain things in the story. So one is the food. Another one is that we tend to dress up for these occasions, like dress nicely, you know, put on our best clothes, get new clothes. So there's a certain kind of reverence like you might find at a wedding or maybe going to church. And then there's, you know, the the visual triggers like lighting candles or putting on the particular tablecloth um, that are supposed to kind of differentiate these feasts from other nights so it doesn't feel the same. And then there's also the content. So there's particular stories to tell, particular blessings to say. And Passover in particular is very ritualistic in that sense because we're continuously revisiting every year the story of our kind of, you know, slavery to freedom, uh, emancipation story, and what we learn from the fact that we were slaves. And one of the main, the main uh, kind of point of the Passover Seder night, that, that feast, is that you need to tell it to the children, that the children need to know this story. And I think it's a psychologically profound idea that there's an origin story that defines you as a person. And in particular, this story, the whole thing could really be boiled down to the fact that you were once a slave. And so you must always show mercy to the weak among you, like the orphans and the widows in your community. And that message is, I think, a very powerful and 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 productive and positive message to always realize you know to, to realize with gratitude that you kind of your life has been a gift um that it you can't take it for granted um and that you need to have empathy for people who have experienced or are experiencing anything similar to the kind of suffering that you you were redeemed from um but the fact that the whole point of the night and all of the kind of theatrics around it are there in order uh, that the that the children should know that the children should should remember and, you know, I, I think my, my, all of my great grandparents were killed in the Holocaust. And a big part of my growing up was the idea that, our, you know, that people, that our generations before us have died so that we could continue this tradition, so that we could tell the story and retell the story, so that we could pass on these values. And so they're kind of, you know, endowed with this very uh, heavy, you know, very real, very, a uh, life and death sense of importance, right? So you don't just skip Passover. You don't move dates. You don't, you know, you don't, oh, I'm busy at work, so I can't do it this year, right? It becomes this very, very important thing that you you could not miss out on, that you must note. And um, and I think because, you know, back to the idea of that kind of the entire society rallying around a particular uh, structure, because it's kind of endowed with all of that meaning, it really holds and it's been holding for thousands of years. And so kind of with each generation or with each year that passes, it becomes that bit more entrenched, that bit more cemented, that bit more reliable in a way. Um, and I, yeah, so <laughs> I kind of went off on a little bit of a tangent, but, um, but that's, I think the meaning of these, of these nights. And sometimes, you know, you don't necessarily feel like doing it or you're busy or it's not the most fun. It's could be quite long or, or, or a bit boring, a bit tedious, um, but the older I get, the more I kind of value my children growing up with the very same words, the very same stories, the very same traditions that, you know, my grandparents uh, enacted in Poland and in Austria 
um, and in Germany before the war and then in England and, and now here in Israel, etc. And then, of course, you know, generations back as well. I think there's something really, really cool about that. I agree. I, I love what you said about the importance of the children knowing the story. And I know that's part of a Passover Seder is that you ask the children, there's four questions, I think, and, you know, just the the involvement. And I think that is one thing that has been missing from Christian cultures, you know, Protestant, evangelical, is that they've given over, and even, even Catholic, they've given over the spiritual training of their children to other people, you know, instead of passing on the stories through these feasts or celebrations, and, and not even just, I wouldn't even limit it to the spiritual training. I would say to some degree, families in the United States have given over every kind of raising of their children to other people. And then they're shocked that their children don't have their shared values. Whereas I think that is one of the strengths of Jewish culture is that the structures of Jewish culture are expected to be passed on by the parents. That is part of, you know, Deuteronomy six is that the structures are passed on by the parents. And then the kids, there's so much more important to the kids because the people they love most in the world and have the biggest connection with are the ones who are teaching them perspective on life. And, and I think it's just so amazing that you're highlighting that. Thank you, Avital. Yeah, it's such a pleasure. I love what you just said. And I'll just add to say, one of the things in Jewish tradition is that it is expected and it's absolutely the parents' role to educate their children. Now you can you know, rely on schools and outsource it and get tutors and whatever, but ultimately it's literally considered your own responsibility. And I think that's a great way of thinking about parenting, right? It needs to be that that role of leadership that ultimately you're, you know, you're the one responsible for the bottom line. Um, and I think what you've mentioned about the structures is that it's not just saying it's your responsibility, but it's also giving you kind of the package, right? The, the tools that you need here, say this, tell this story, do this, you know, then do this tradition, then have this feast, then have this fast day, etc. And you'll be okay if you kind of follow the structure. Now I'm simplifying it. And of course, not everyone is okay. And there's a lot of, you know, whatever mental health issues and all of the other things that every other culture has. But I think um, there's a lot to learn from that for all of us uh, in understanding that we do need to pass. I, I do. I do absolutely believe that it's parental, you know, kind of abdication of our role if we just expect culture at large to do it. Um, and and they'll do it. You know, the, the culture at large. Well, TikTok will raise your kids for you if you let if you let it. Um, but probably uh, probably not the way you, you might have hoped. And um, so yeah, I think just giving giving ourselves certain structures in place is is so missing and and so needed. And I really hope that parents. You know, that's part of a big part of a deep part of my work is it's kind of helping to create those structures and find those rules or, or patterns or content that you kind of the culture, really the culture, I guess, of the home that becomes a place that really reflects your, your deepest values and your deepest vision for your family. And um, if, if we can borrow from other cultures or from Judaism, from Christianity, from from various um, paths, and I think, you know, kind of take whatever you can get from from wherever it comes to make something that's cohesive and that's strong and that can really help to hold on to that family cohesion and that family togetherness which is really falling apart yeah I'm so excited about families discovering this and I'd love to hear about any new projects you have I think you have a new book out I'd love to hear a little bit about that as we close Thank you so much. Um, yeah, my new book is coming out very soon, uh, depending on when this drops, but it's called Reclaim Play. And that actually is on an entirely different topic. It's about uh, independent play and the, the power of play and, and how to design your home. 
in order to reclaim it and get your kids playing independently. Um, and my work in general is at HiFam. I have a membership where I help families uh, create strong family bonds uh, that are really unbreakable uh, through 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 creating culture at home. Yeah, I I just love what you're doing, Avital. It's amazing, both the play aspects, especially in terms of our children's sensory development and their development towards academics, but then also helping families figure out structure because it is hard, especially for families who aren't have the joy of being connected to an ancient culture like yours to find their bearings and develop that cohesive culture. So thank you so much for what you're doing. I'm excited for our community to discover you. Thank you, Jennifer. So great to be here.